Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour with me, Matt Bentman. And me, Alan Alder. Sue Bailey can't join us today, she is attending a private event, but we'll be back next time. However, Sue has left us a recording of Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, who'll be talking about what joys are to be found in September foraging. We've also got lots of news about the Open Cambridge events, many of which are food-related. Open Cambridge starts today, Saturday, and it will run until a week tomorrow. We'll hear from Alex Rushma about his new newsletter, The Open Kitchen, why he's doing it and what's in it. We'll also be taking a look at other Cambridge 105 radio programmes which have regular food features, and we'll play you some excerpts. And at the end of the programme, our job section includes a vacancy for a chef in a venue where the nearest shop is nine miles away. But first... Sue Bailey met with the foraging chef Steve Thompson earlier in the week to talk about September foraging. One wild food that's in abundance at the moment is elderberries. Steve has some advice on what to do with them, and, along with his 21-month-old Rowan contentedly rattling away in the background, told Sue how best to use them. The best thing to do with elderberries is Pontac sauce, basically. And if you have a quick look at our social media, The Foraging Chef on Facebook or Chef Steve Thompson on Instagram, we have just posted up our recipe for it. And it uses a lot of wild spices collected in the local area. Pontac sauce, the best way to describe it is like an elderberry Worcestershire sauce, I would say. A lot of people describe it like elderberry ketchup. It's not. For me, a ketchup is sweet and sour. Pontac sauce has zero sugar in it's a very easy thing to make and a very good way to preserve elderberries for the rest of the year. Now, you might be worried, say, your local elderberry bush or something is over now and you've passed it. They're all like dried up in little stones almost. Um, look for ones in the shade. That's the best bit. Classically, it's elderberries, vinegar, allspice. You might have some nutmeg in there. You might have some peppercorns in there. We've never been one for the classics. I don't like using spices that we've had to fly across the world and things like that. So what we do with our recipe is we use some lovely hogweed seeds. We've got Alexander seeds in there. We've got some juniper in there. Um, we've got pine needles in there. And if we had, we would have put some uh, Woodhaven roots in there. But at the moment, we're just waiting a little bit longer to start picking them. But it's a lovely flavour. Bottle it up. Goes really nice on game. Venison coming through pheasants, partridges, grouse, all that kind of thing. It's a really nice little accompaniment to go with that. If you don't have access to the, the sort of seeds that you are, have been picking, what sort of, if, if you like, in the standard spice cupboard would you suggest? Standard, standard spices go for, so, as I said, classically nutmeg, peppercorns and allspice is the classic one. But any of those kind of Christmassy spices would work nicely with it. So your anises, your cinnamons fennel seeds would be very nice in it and in fact i think we use them in our recipe actually but yeah any of any of your sort of winter warming spices think mulled wine anything you would put in that and you're not going to go too far wrong so cloves and everything like that mm. so you can really experiment with a pontiac sauce yes yeah yeah I, I would say that we're spicy i mean we have measured it down to the gram and you need a set of jewelry scales to do ours but they're cheap and you can buy them online for less than a tenner but really Spicing's quite personal, I think. So, yeah, experiment. Put in what you want. Have a feel. Have a taste. It's going to age. It's going to mellow with age. So when it's younger, it is very acidic, very vinegary. Some people like it like that. It's wonderful sprinkled on, on top of your cheese on toast like you would with Worcestershire sauce. But it's a very old sauce, and I think a lot of old sauces state that after seven years, it gets better. So it's something I have got a bottle that I've had stored for three years so far. So we've got another four to go and we'll see. 
Mm, nice, nice. And so it really does mellow after six months or more. It will, yeah, with anything, yeah. I mean, we've got some in the next room along there that's a year old and we'll have a little smell after this and you'll tell the difference. It is a lot less acrid vinegary in your face. But we use it at lots of different stages and it's great to use to balance things. Yeah. So in other words, you know, make some this year for use this year, but also make some for keeping for the year and years to come. Yeah, I think it's it's like a lot of things we do where we talk about, say, like beech leaf noyal that we've made or some of the liqueurs and lots of things like this and like walnut ketchups and stuff. What I like to do is I make a batch for using now and a batch for preserving and keeping. And then... Yeah, then each year you've got one for now and you've got one from last year and you might have one from the year before and things like that. And it's nice to get to know them. Yeah, compare and contrast. It's So we spent a bit of time this week trying some local honey that's done in the village that we live in. And it's similar with that kind of thing in, in, a, in, well, in kind of a similar way. Like you get your spring honey has one flavour and your summer honey has a very different flavour. And it's like that with a lot of things. Yeah, that's true. I mean, with you know, our bees and our honey is, is very different depending on the season, yeah. Yeah, it, um, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's the differences it on it's where the pollen comes yeah, from. But... Exactly so, yeah. <laughs> and the main thing we're going to talk about this month, really, is uh, fruit. Because there is an abundance of fruits. Everywhere you go at the moment, there's crab apples dropping on the roadside. We've got plums. We've got blackberries in the hedgerow. We've just been picking bags and bags and bags of pears at the moment and things like that. So it's really what to do with that. Everybody crumbles, they jam, we can do chutneys, we can do leathers and things like that. But let's talk about a few more of the slightly unusual things that you can do with things. And um, first of all, we'll talk about making black apples, which, like, well, the easiest product that you would know of being like that is black garlic. And it's, it's often described as a fermentation, but it's not a fermentation. It's actually using the Maillard's reaction, which is basically a chemical reaction between amino acids and reducing sugar. It gives its, it, it's kind of like browning food, basically, and like when you do with your marshmallows over an open fire. But we, we do this very, very slowly. And you can do this at home. It might use a fair bit of power-up, so you may want to do it in a more volume, or you may want to just find a warm place in your house that you can do it in. But the ideal temperature is about 60 degrees, but you can get it going at lower temperatures. And we take the apples, we use our slow cooker, uh, just on the warm setting, and we double-wrap the apples in tinfoil and then single wrap them up in cling film and we put them in our slow cooker we put something in the bottom just to stop them touching the bottom otherwise they'll catch and burn what like a plate or a sauce or yeah something? whatever size it is we use a couple of little metal um biscuit rings ah. that just keeps them off a bit biscuit rings and then a folded sheet of baking parchment just to kind of make a platform mm-hmm. and then we uh, put the apples in and we leave them alone for small sort of apples that are maybe like five six centimeter in diameter two weeks should do for the larger the larger apples you're looking at four maybe even up to six weeks but you'll get this wonderful gooey treacly little apple inside that is just absolutely amazing sounds incredible so no coring peeling needed no we don't bother no when you get it at the end you can just push it through a sieve and you'll get rid of all the seeds you'll get rid of all the pulp and everything like that that way so it's like a sort of an apple butter, apple jam? Yeah, yeah, exactly like that, basically. Like the apple butter, it would be nice and thick, and then you can use that, and you could literally just spread it on toast, and it's gorgeous. And it but doesn't taste burnt? No, it doesn't, because you're doing it very slowly. So it's oh. got the real nice kind of earthy, umami flavours that you get from that without having that acrid bitterness. Yeah, that's a nice, fun way of preserving apples, and you can do it with pears... You can do it with any fruit, to be entirely honest, but it works better with the slightly bigger ones. The smaller ones would tend to crisp up a bit too much yeah. and just keep an eye on it. That was Steve Thompson, and that Pontac sauce sounds good. Mm. Isn't that something you said you were going to make a few years ago? Oh, yes, I did, but I didn't. Uh, anyway, if you've got friends or relations in the Cotswolds, Steve is doing a nine-course tasting menu on the 11th and 12th of October near Stroud. Uh, it's at the Britannia Inn in Nailsworth and is £65 per head. OK, on to our first news break now. And Vandalile with an A, has now become Vandalile with an I for the next two weeks. Here's Alex Rushmer to explain. 
So Vandalar with an I obviously refers to wine. Uh, so it is much more of a wine bar, um, which is the which is the loosest idea. So we'll be um, temporarily shelving the, the fixed tasting menu. We'll be pouring many more wines by the glass, uh, and we'll, we will be offering small plates uh, instead of an eleven-course menu. Uh, we will be running Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the second week in September, and then our usual opening hours, which will be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for the second week. News about reopenings now. Mercado Central in Green Street reopened yesterday after its summer break. Chukasa in Mill Road reopened on Thursday. The Wine Rooms in Hills Road has returned to opening from Tuesdays to Saturdays and this coming Tuesday sees the first of its pasta nights. Uh, They'll be happening every Tuesday. Tradizioni's Mercato in Mill Road returns on Thursday. If there's anything in particular you'd like them to get for you, let them know by 10 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, And you can also see what they normally get on their website and pre-order if you want to. There's some special nights at the Tickle Arms. Every Wednesday is Fish Night. Booking is advised, and Thursdays at the Crown and Punch Bowl is also Fish Night. On the 23rd of September at the Tickle Arms, there's a plant-based evening with three courses, plus teas or coffees and vegan chocolates. The Plough in Shepherd has just begun a Thursday Guest Chef Night. Uh, this week it was the Oyster Lab, but keep an eye out on the Plough's social media for new announcements. Tonight's street food at the Plough is Vonnie's Balkan Express, and at Brewboard in Harston today, the tap room is open from 4 till 10, with chicken and tings serving from 5 till 8 tomorrow, Sunday in Northstow, and from 10 till 1, it's Cambridge's Luxury Bakes. L Events has released its October programme, Saturday nights at the Cambridge Cookery School, and you can book now. On the 2nd of October, there's an an eight-course fine dining evening with Chef Donkey and Kale Dining. 9th of October sees the Fasta Pasta Company. Uh, On the 16th, it's South American cuisine from apples and jalapeno. 23rd is Artisan Porchetta and Rotisserie Chicken from Rotisserole. And on the 30th of October, Chef Donkey. Uh, You can book via a direct message to L Events on, on Instagram or email leventsltd at gmail.com. And here is Elle talking about her events with Steffi Callister on her Cambridge 105 radio show recently. Elle Events is launching a 12-week pop-up series hosted at the Cambridge Cookery School, um, and we'll be showcasing a variety of independent local chefs from Cambridge um, every Saturday night up until the 30th of October. What are the facilities like at the Cookery School? Oh, they're fantastic. Um, so the cookery school um, has a full terrace outside which can seat up to about 40 people. Um, there's also a cafe section and then obviously the cooking school as well. Um, it's such a great uh, location um, right in the city centre. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic place in the summer along the terrace there. Is it licensed? It is, yes. So um, it is licensed. At the pop-up restaurants will be... Um, really focusing on some of the Cambridge local breweries and wine merchants. So we'll be um, having Brewboard beers, um, they're from Halston, and then also the Copper Crew are providing some South African canned wine. So so truly local then? Truly local. And then we're getting some British sparkling wine from Great Britannia. So everything is 100% local. So um, how many people can you cater for? And um, if people want to get tickets or find out a bit more about it, how do they do that? Um, we will be catering for up to about 40 people per event. And the tickets can be booked either via the website or via Instagram. It's really simple. Um, we are doing a fully pre-order and pre-payment system so that we're gunning for that zero food waste as well. And we should mention too that next Saturday at Cambridge Cookery School, it's the turn of My Persian Kitchen. The Cambridge Cheese Company in All Saints Passage has had a major reorganisation with a range of cassoulets, bisques, pâtés and ragouts at the front of the shop. And they particularly recommend the duck and wild boar ragout, which sounds pretty wonderful to me. Meadows is now preparing ready meals each week. Last week it was Economiati. Check their Instagram account for what's coming next. Uh, finally for this news section, Faraj Al Nasser of Faraj's Kitchen moved to England from Aleppo as a result of the Syrian war. 
Uh, he won a scholarship to a London culinary school and has since worked with Ottolenghi. Now he lives in Cambridge where he cooks and delivers Syrian vegetarian dishes, so far to around 3,000 people. However, he's having to quit the kitchen he uses at the end of September and risks therefore having no work, so he urgently needs to find another kitchen. Can you help him find one? Sue found out exactly what he needs earlier this week. I started my business last December, or in the December last year. It was just an idea of uh, finding something to do during the pandemic and second lockdown. Yes, I found I have uh, like a organization kitchen. Uh, they offered me a their kitchen and I've been using it since. But uh, I have to keep the kitchen in this month, in September. People have been enjoying it so, so far, uh, doing uh, Middle Eastern, vegetarian and vegan in Cambridge. And also I'm doing sometimes outside of Cambridge. What, what type of kitchen or what size of kitchen are you looking for? Well, basically, the kitchen I have so far, it's just like, it's not like a commercial kitchen, but it been, has been checked by the health and safety. I, I have been looking for like a kitchen unit or uh, a cafe or uh, like a church kitchen or a community kitchen. So I've been trying to look all around and spread the message. And if anyone knows or anyone has any, any idea or anyone would like, you know, just to share their ideas with me and we can do something together. That's that's also that's also good to me, but you know, it's fighting kitchen is difficult. But I mean, the size or or a place. I mean, I'm looking uh, for a kitchen in Cambridge because I'm based in Cambridge, and because I didn't drive, so that's another problem. But the kitchen, I mean, it doesn't have to be a commercial kitchen, but it's still a kitchen that where I can do my my catering. So, would you need it every day? I would like to have it uh, like five days a week, as I'm operating now, like from Tuesday to through. Uh, Saturday, yeah, seven hours a day or up to seven to ten hours a day to do the catering. For example, uh, an oven, a fridge, um, uh, the dishwasher, but it doesn't have to be... I mean, I do have the kitchen I'm using, I do have like a home dishwasher style. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's quite annoying because in a commercial kitchen, you do things uh, quite fast. So I I do end up spending like four or five hours uh, every day washing up. Quite. <laughs> not great fun, but uh, what can I do? The most important thing is the oven and the fridge. And I'm happy to pay, so, um, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, so maybe we could, we could uh, uh, discuss that. The dry weather we've had in Cambridge recently has delayed the start of the wild mushroom season. But with the bits of rain that we have had in the last day or so, and possibly more this week, it should start up soon. So here's Rosie Sykes and from Parker's Tavern, Tristan Welch with some ideas for cooking them. So I am a big fan of a chestnut mushroom. And I think one of the nicest things you can do with a chestnut mushroom is actually roast it in the oven. So toss it in some olive oil, salt and pepper. Put it in a quite sort of just below 200 oven in a hot tray. And what it'll do is it will start to kind of brown a bit and then quite a lot of liquid comes out and then it gets reabsorbed. And what I tend to do is once the liquid has come out, add also you can add any kind of flavorings. I've been really into a la grecque at the moment, which is that very classic French way of treating vegetables. So coriander seeds, a bit of white wine, a bit of garlic, tiny bit of tomato puree or, or a peeled tomato Um, some olive oil and maybe a bit of stock and then let them simmer away in that, a bay leaf, let them simmer away in that and sort of re... re-evaporate is that the right word anyway sort of suck up all the juices and then let them sit for a while and that that is a really delicious sort of you can serve that warm as part of a an hors d'oeuvre or it goes really nicely if you're i don't know grilling some chicken on the barbecue or a pork chop so that's a lovely thing to do um big flat mushrooms are really nice on the barbecue i think with some garlic and parsley butter i think they need very simple treatment really because they they have such a great flavor don't they if you if you get it right mushrooms well if you've got just simple basic mushrooms what i really adore uh, is making mushrooms a la grec so first of all quarter your mushrooms or you can even leave them the whole of their button mushrooms in the, in a hot pan some olive oil or then to that um add some chopped onions some chopped garlic tomatoes and if you've got uh, um, if you haven't got any tomatoes in your fridge 
touch of tomato paste or some tinned tomatoes cook that down and then I like to add some sherry or cider vinegar to that to give it an acidity loads and loads of pepper in it so it's nice and peppery acidic and you've got this tomato the piquant sort of um, tomatoes as well I sometimes put chili in it as well you cook all that down in a pan pop it in a jam jar leave it in your fridge you've got mushrooms allegrec so you know, you know how we've all got a I hope we've all got a jar of olives in our fridge when we have a little uh, um, a snack in the afternoon sort of thing you can pull out your jar of mushrooms allegrec they are sensational in fact they work really well with fish as well if you're going to pan fry um, your fish which I know I see you buying on a Saturday morning Alan actually <laughs> and, uh, we, we, we meet regularly in the queue um, um, a, a, a dessert a spoon or a tablespoon of mushrooms allegret with some pan fried fish is just a very special thing mm, right, I should do that right, okay. mushrooms are so tasty and if you prefer yours cultivated the ones from Cambridge mushrooms in Coton are fantastically good and delivered to you on the day they're picked some more news now and here are some of the events lined up in this year's Open Cambridge now some are online only but quite a few take place at a Cambridge venue Booking is required for some of these events, and you will need to check on the Open Cambridge website as to whether or not they are already fully booked. First up, at Maddingley Hall on the 18th of September, there is a garden tour which focuses on edible plants. Now, there'll also be professional herb practitioners offering foraging forays. There are homemade seasonal dishes prepared by Maddingley Hall's chefs, and there will also be local food stalls. This runs from 10 till 4pm. Booking is not required. There's a fascinating history of Indian restaurants in Cambridge, accompanied by a slideshow, uh, which you can see online. Uh, the first Indian restaurant in Cambridge was the Koei Noor, apparently, in Mill Road in 1943. And this slideshow has some very nice scenes of Cambridge from the decades gone by, uh, and also mention of how the Indian restaurants adapted the food to suit the English palate. Uh, it's available now and runs to the 19th of September. There's no charge and no booking. Just go to the Open Cambridge website, look for events, and then click in the right places. And here's an extract with narrator Shahida Rahman. My late father, Abdul Karim, arrived in Cambridge in 1957 and he established the New Bengal Restaurant at 43 Regent Street. My father went on to establish a second restaurant called the Bengal Tandoor Mahal at 4 Fitzroy Street. Mahal means mansion or palace. Throughout the 1970s and 80s, curry restaurants became the venue of choice for pub goers and nightclubbers after closing time. So restaurants at the time served a variety of dishes and the typical desserts that were served in restaurants were mango from tins and guava, which was served in sweet syrup. Prawn cocktail became prawn puree. Chips became Bombay potatoes. Chicken tikka was served mild. Madras medium hot. Vindaloo was very hot, but chicken tikka masala became the most popular curry dish in the UK. And there's more about English, and specifically Cambridge tastes, in a special after-hours event at the Museum of Cambridge. It looks at the culinary tastes and customs since the 17th century. That runs from Thursday to Saturday, from 6pm to 7.30, and you will need to book for that one. Lots of food history from the Cambridge Colleges. 500 years of food at King's moves from food fights to food scarcity. And it's all based on items in the college's special collection. It's an online exhibition. There's six centuries of food at Corpus Christi, including how the food served to Corpus fellows and undergraduates has changed over the years. There were lots of complaints about being served whale meat during World War II, apparently. There are lots of books and manuscripts on display, including a very early printed cookbook. Uh, this takes place at the college. No booking is required, but you may, may need to wait a few minutes if there's a risk of overcrowding. It runs from 10 till 4 today and next Saturday, the 18th of September. And there are nine centuries of food at Sydney Sussex College, with items on display relating to cooking and catering from the 12th to the 20th century. It takes place at the college from 10 till 4 on Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And meanwhile, at Newnham College, there's a tour of edible highlights from the college's art collection and garden, including how all members of the college can learn about permaculture 
and sustainable food production. Uh, and there's a visit to the Pottager Beds that include more than 20 varieties of tomato, and you will need to book this visit. Here's where we bring you details of free food available now in and around Cambridge and the information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which is free to download. Yeah, so looking at the Olio app, I can see that Jane on Coleridge Road has a loaf of Polish bakery sourdough bread to give away. Nina, who lives near the Botanic Garden on Hills Road, has some fresh, homegrown Moroccan mint that's ideal for using in tea or in cooking. Tracy, up near Teversham, has some easy-bake yeast, whilst Jenny in King's Hedges has a pack of freeze-dried mandarin. She tried it, but she didn't like it. And then there's Shamala, who has loads of things to give away, including 15 punnets of strawberries, 6 heads of iceberg lettuce, 5 packs of celery, 9 bunches of carrots, 2 packs of bagels, and plenty more. And remember, these people, and many more like them, are all using the Olio app every day to give away food for free, preventing it from going to waste. And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of being binned at the end of the day's trading. Coming up after the break, Alex Rushmer on his new newsletter, more foraging ideas from Steve Thompson, some Cambridge food history from Tristan Welch, and some examples of food stories to be found elsewhere on Cambridge 105 Radio, and of course, our job section. We'll be back in two minutes. Cambridge 105 Radio. Join me, Neil Jones, every Tuesday here on Cambridge 105 Radio for the very best from the world of rock. Every week we'll bring you big name interviews, all the latest from the local scene here in Cambridge and the very best rock songs around. It's two hours of rock every single Tuesday from nine o'clock with me, Neil Jones, right here across the city in South Cambridgeshire on Cambridge 105 Radio. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment. Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715 715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Panther Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Sarah, one of CKLG's friendly tax advisors. Creating and preserving wealth is an aspiration for many of our clients. In our complex world of changing legislation and family circumstances, we listen and provide you and your family with bespoke tax advice tailored to your needs. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists. Or visit our website, cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. Cambridge 105 Radio. Alex Rushmer of Vanderlyle and last week's celebrity master chef, has launched a regular newsletter. I asked him why. The Open Kitchen is, uh, is, is an outlet for my writing, really, and it, and it was something that I've, I've been writing about food for nearly 15 years now, and I thought a relaunch of, of it's essentially a blog, really, um, so it's just a new space for me to, to, to pen my thoughts and share my thoughts about food and cooking and about hospitality, that sort of Freshness, I think, is something that I needed. I've, I've, I've had a blog for, for a long time, but I just the opportunity came about to have a relaunch uh, and to put my thoughts out there in a, in a different space. And, um, and it was a way for me to sort of inspire myself to start writing again um, because I have... It's a muscle that needs exercising and I haven't perhaps been exercising it as much as I would have liked of late because... The restaurant has dominated um, dominated my time and my working time. Um, I still write a monthly food column for Cambridge Edition magazine, but some of the things that I have to say aren't necessarily... That's not the correct outlet for them. So 
the, the the idea came because I wanted to have a new a new outlet, a new small project to, yeah. to run. But there are sort of tiers of membership, aren't there? Is that yeah, there are. And, um, and at the moment, there is the option to, to pay for a, a subscribed a subscribed uh, service, which ultimately will include more posts and more interactivity and the ability to come in. But for the moment, um, I think everybody has just signed up for a free membership, and there's nothing there's nothing that they're not getting at the moment so yeah. if, if anybody wants to read read my thoughts there are plenty of links on my social media and um, it's a it's a substack yeah. uh, which is a new well the, e- the email that I subscribe to is always I mean it's always interesting and it's always surprising I mean the current one's got a thing about pyjamas in it for example <laughs> very, well, very nice pyjamas yeah <laughs> so this is the Vandalar newsletter which um, which my wife Charlotte very kindly writes for us right um, and um, she has an incredible ability to not only talk about what we're doing here, but also uh, find points of interest, places of interest, websites of interest, um, and pajamas <laughs> that may or may <laughs> not be of interest. interest. <laughs> but it's um, I think having that direct that direct communication with people is very very important, and being able to to fall into somebody's inbox at a time of our choosing for them and for them to be able to read it at a time of their choosing. I think that's one of the other reasons that I started The Open Kitchen is because it is an email-based newsletter. So it can be read online, but um, there's a slightly more personal touch, I think, of, of having an email sent directly to somebody who has actively chosen to sign up to either the Vandalar newsletter or to, to The Open Kitchen. OK, here's some more events at Open Cambridge now. In the Mill Road Cemetery, you can find out about the great meat scandal and other stories. Now, this scandal was quite considerable. It rocked the university and it made the national press, too. And this was all in the late 1800s. The tour also visits the monuments of people connected with the food or hotel trade in Victorian Cambridge. Now, you'll need to book for this. There are two tours. Both are on Wednesday. The first is from 10 till 11 a.m. and the second from 6 till 7 p.m. In Meat from the Market, Spices from the Fair, there's a look back at when Cambridge got its fish from the river and its fruits and vegetables from gardens and orchards in the middle of the city. Uh, That premieres at six o'clock today, Saturday, with the live Q&A, and then it's available to watch again any time until the end of the festival. Booking is recommended for the live event today, but obviously not for the catch-up. Studies of the national diet down through the decades is the subject of What Does the UK Eat?, Now, this is an interactive online session. It goes behind the scenes of the National Diet and Nutrition Survey, and it includes a look at the food fads that have come and gone. This runs from 6 till 7pm on Wednesday. Next Saturday, there are tours of the Cambridge University Farm. They happen at 10am, 11.30, 1pm and 2.30pm. Booking is needed. There's an online talk about the draining of the fens and their subsequent use for food production. You can book for the live version. This takes place next Saturday from 11 till 12, but then it is available to see again all day Sunday. You can visit the community allotment gardens in Elfleda Road next Saturday from 10 till 4. It's run by local homeless and vulnerably housed people. Booking is recommended. And finally, a community feast organised by Cambridge Sustainable Food and cooked by Sam Dyer and Alex Collis from produce provided by CoFarm. There are after-dinner speakers you'll need to book. Suggested donation is £20 and you take your own drinks. That's on Friday evening. There is a lot of food history in the Open Cambridge programme. And on that very subject, Sue Bailey went to speak with Tristan Welch of Parker's Tavern. So it's one of those desserts that really excite me. It's all about the ratio of caramel versus custard. And to think it was invented here in Cambridge and Trinity College just is really exciting. It's a bit of food heritage. But the French might say it's theirs. Yeah, I love a bit of controversy. <laughs> and I'm happy to agree to disagree with the French. <laughs> a cultural history of 
gastronomic heights, the least they could do is just give us one little creme brulee, you exactly. know? Exactly. One little creme brulee. And call it Trinity Burnt Green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> come Burnt on. Come. Exactly. But actually, I do, I do like to um, wind up some of our um, French employees a little bit. Uh, and it's, it's all light-hearted and good fun, actually. You've got a recipe for it dating back to 1740. What book was that in? Is this one of oh, your collections? Gosh, I can't remember. I would have to go back and look. I do have an antique book collection. It's been a real passion of mine for, for so long. Because I always think to look forward, you have to look back. And I always find it so exciting to see what was cooked and all that sort of stuff. Um, Pre-Victorian era, and actually when the Victorian streamlined it as well, was really interesting mm. as well. On, uh, but yes yeah it's it's a real passion of mine yeah it's a passion of mine too it's, um, <laughs> oh i know i do you know what? i think you're way more qualified than me i'm just a, <laughs> I, I, i'm just a um but a mild voyeur of the world of uh, uh, food history so how big is your food history book collection oh it's what it's um what three bookcases Oh, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, it started from a young age, actually. Would um, I remember the antique cookbook shops in North Norfolk. They're still there, but they're way more expensive now than they used to be. So, so, so for 20 pence, I could, go and, I, I could get an antique cookbook. For a quid, they'd give me six, you know? <laughs> so I, I got really excited. And, and then just as time went on, I would collect from um, relatives and things like that. You know, Mrs. I find Mrs. Beaton's really interesting. And mm. I love that sort of, that series that, that kind of gave a bit of history of Mrs. Beaton as well and, and it explained a lot of things you know yeah. but, but also you know things like British recipes for macaroni and macaroni pie we were great importers and all this sort of stuff very very exciting and in fact Duke of Cambridge tart as well Yes. Now, if I saw you on your website, I believe, uh, yes. um, a bit about Duke of Cambridge tarts. And, and that inspired me to recreate Duke of Cambridge tart here. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I quite often, I like to joke that um, Duke of Cambridge tart was <laughs> trans- <laughs> predates Bakewell tart, right? Is yes, that what you're saying? Yes, yeah, yeah. So you always sort of adjust a recipe to suit modern taste, would you say? I think we have to move with modern times. Uh, I think it's really, really important to. Uh, I think that's how a lot of these recipes came about in the first place, adapting to modern times. Um, so what I've done here with the uh, Cambridge Burnt Cream is just adapted it to the modern time a little bit. I like the cold unctuous luxurious flavor of a good set cream and that has to be really creamy however i do struggle a little bit with the with the ratio of caramel to custard in some dishes and all this sort of stuff so what we've done we've done the caramel separate to the custard and we've gone with a lot more caramel because I wanted a really, really rich custard. So those two things really balance each other out. It's all about the ratio of bitterness mm. versus luxurious unctuousness. Yes, I would totally agree. It looks like an amazing sort of caramel top hat. But what we don't do is, as history would say, is take the crest of Trinity and press it into the, uh, the yes. caramelised on the top. We don't do that because, um, well, well, we're not Trinity College. No. And do you know what I love about Cambridge Burnt Cream is the beautiful crunch. Do you want to hear it? Ooh, yes, we, yes. Should we hear a crunch? Yes. We get it now, that is satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> wow. And it is splintered perfectly. <laughs> it's, well, food's got to be fun as well, and I yes. think that's a big part of the fun. I mean, one of the things you seem to do the most Cambridge twists on here is with the afternoon tea. Yes. Our afternoon tea um, follows little historic anecdotes, if you like, stories of, of, of Cambridge, ranging from the rules of football that were written out here on Parker's Peace, right the way through to uh, the history of boat rowing and, and, and the races, and the famous Cambridge-Oxford boat race. Um, even in our espresso cup, there's a little Oxford boat sinking. And I had not noticed that. <laughs> so there's a bit of comedy and a bit of fun about everything. Yes, I think yes, it's very, very yes. important. Have you ever done grassy corner pudding? Have you come across that no. one? No. Oh, I will get you the recipe. Dr. Bailey, tell me more. It's the one that was always served as part of the bumps. So, yeah. But has jelly in it. So well, but bumps as in the birthday bumps? Bumps as in the, the bumps. Oh, no, the bumps, no, 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 the bumps. The, the bumps, the, 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 the races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Grassy pudding was served there. Oh, I'd love to know more. I will find out more oh, and send I'm it to you. Well, that's another show, right? There. Yes. Why is it called Parker's Tavern? Uh huh. Good question. Well, I want. I, I. I definitely didn't want to lose the history and association mm. with the park. I think that's really, really important. Mm. But what I love as well is, I believe Parker's Peace was named after Edward Parker, which was a very famous cook of the colleges back in the days that grazed his cattle. 
Well, on, on Parker's piece. So there's a chefy element to it mm. as well, which I kind of like. Uh, and and um, the idea is we wanted uh, a, a relaxed, informal um, eatery or restaurant that doesn't promote stiffness and all that sort of stuff, but is a restaurant of high quality. And I thought if we named it Tavern, that would probably bring it in to line. Because we've got a history here of uh, we are uh, a coaching in. Uh, it's got a great history of coaching, so a tavern is what it would have been many years ago. It's, it's very much like the Woolsey in the sense of the sort of charm of the style and come here any time yeah. and enjoy. Exactly. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's supposed to be just be a fun place. Oh, it's an amazing place, absolutely <laughs> love it. And that, as if you didn't know, was Tristan Welch, and Tristan is appearing at the Newmarket Food Festival this weekend. Earlier, Steve Thompson talked about making black apples, But what do you do with the peel and the cores? And the same if you're making anything from apples, whether a crumble, a pie or jam. Throw the scraps away? No. Here's Steve again with an alternative plan. It doesn't come any easier than apple scrap vinegar, really. It's it's, it's lovely. It's nice and easy. It's kind of... it's. It's a cheats version of apple cider vinegar, basically. So instead of brewing it into the cider first and then turning it into vinegar, you're kind of skipping out the middleman, basically. So you're putting all of your scraps into a pot or into a jar. Use something like glass is best, really. I wouldn't recommend using metal, but you can get away with plastic if you needed to. But glass is really the best. Um, Top it up with water. Give it a good feeding of sugar. You want quite a lot of sugar in there because that's what the bacteria is going to feed on. And finish it off with either, if if you've made vinegars before and you've got a mother already, then put that in and a little bit of your raw vinegar. If not, you can go to the shop and buy raw vinegar, put a real good sort of glug of raw vinegar in there. When you say raw vinegar, you don't mean distilled vinegar then? No, something that's not been pasteurised. So it's still got the live bacteria in it. And to be honest, I don't like using supermarkets, but all of them have it in there. Yeah, if you um, read the labels, quite a lot of the vinegars say not pasteurised, unpasteurised, or they'll actually say raw, raw apple cider vinegar or something like that on the label. Add a good glug of that, cover it with a bit of muslin or whatever you've got available, something that still allows it to kind of breathe. And then just leave it somewhere warm to do its thing for a couple of weeks. And really, after two weeks, lift it up, have a smell. If it's got that really acidic smell, you're good to go. If not, leave it for longer. You shouldn't get any moulds or anything like that. You should, you, what you should start to see over the top is kind of like a film. Yes, I know, that slightly oily film. Yeah, yes. exactly. And then you'll get, and hopefully, if you're lucky, you'll get a nice little mother. And that's kind of, yeah, it's almost like silicony in texture. But Is it sort of like a little glob? Yeah, it's kind of like globby. a globby disc. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very much like a scoby if you brew kombucha or anything like that. But it's, yeah, they're good. That's what you're looking for, a nice healthy vinegar. And, yeah, if you've got your uh, testing papers or a pH meter and stuff, you can check the pH of it and see where you're happy at being. And you want a vinegar somewhere around three, really, ideally, but anything less than 4.6, and it's good to, uh, it's good to use to preserve. So then when you've got your, um, your mother or whatever on top, you leave that there? You don't take it off? Yeah, you can leave it there in the bottle. Um, you can use it to make your next vinegars as well. We tend to use... We tend to stay away from it, using it to make our next vinegars. We tend to use actually a bit of the raw vinegar itself and just strain the mother and get rid of it. Because I tend to find that when you're being really picky and you're looking at the little details, the mother can make it a little bit bitter. Okay. But that's me being really fussy, and I don't think you'd notice too much. Yeah. So you strain out all the pips and, and cores and everything from it? Yeah. Yes, we do, yeah. Once you've, once you've got it, you just want the liquid at the end. Right. And that's going to be your apple scrap vinegar, and then you can use that for preserving. But I would say if you're going to preserve and pickle with it and stuff like that, I would find out what pH you're at, just to make sure that you're not going to... Ruin whatever you're doing. Yeah, I mean, because as I say, with our one two three method... If you're not at a low enough pH, you maybe want to cut the water back and right. things like that because you, you don't want to dilute it enough to make it above that magic 4.6. Yeah, so your one, two, remind me of the one, two, three. So method. the one, two, three pickling method, which is another great way to keep your fruit, pickle pears, fantastic. Uh, one part vinegar, two parts sugar, three part water. Yeah. And Steve will be back next month with more foraging and cooking ideas. Now, one of the great pleasures in eating out is sampling different world foods. 
but there's always the sneaky feeling that what you're getting is perhaps an anglicized version of the real thing. Now, what we food adventurers crave is authenticity. Are we getting it? So we went to Look Thai at the Cricketers in Melbourne Place, that's off of Park Street, to find out more from the manager, Goff, if their Thai food is the real deal. Thai food have several things like stir-fry dishes, curry, noodles, barbecue. The authentic for me is like Thai food make everything from scratch. And then basically lots of herbs, lots of chilli and lots of ingredients, so it combines so many elements. Do Thais adapt the recipe dishes to the English palate a lot or a little? Yeah, we, we cook less spicy, less chilli in it, unless if the customer demand for more, or when they want it as a Thai style, then we, okay, put more chilies in it. and then But then we adopt it a little bit like sometimes maybe you, all people know it's papaya salad. We put less chili in it, stir fry less chili in it. But then the curry, it tastes more like in Thai. So we don't need to, you know, put less or more chili in it. But things like barbecue, like salad, like um, uh, stir fry, we do actually put less chili in it. And also at Look Thai, you do things like the light festival and all sorts of special buffets. Yeah, I mean... Um, for us, we normally, if it's the big event like Loikatong Festival, Chinese New Year, uh, Song Grand Festival, we are capable of doing things like buffet as well. So mm. when people can buy tickets and then they just come and enjoy not just the food, but the music as well, uh, the dance, the Thai classical dance show as well. So it's so many things like because cause we are Thai normally. Um, capable of doing those sort of things. And um, what about availability of, in- of Thai ingredients? These days you can order from a supplier, sometimes the Indian supplier, Chinese supplier or even Thai supplier. The whole market, it's based in London, basically when they actually supply to all the other agents and then when we pre-order them, then they deliver to us on the right day. Mm. And also, um, Mill Road is in Cambridge. We do yeah. have three main market which selling Thai stuff like Chomi on Mill Road, Seoul Plaza opposite, and there's another Chinese shop as well on Mill Road. And now there are two more. There's another Chinese shop on Regent Street, and also by the Burley Street as well. Get it easily this day. I, I think the food that you do here is. Fantastic, and you get a lot of people coming back. Yeah, we um, if the customer come and dine in with us, we give them five pounds voucher, so that encourage them to come back. Good idea. And also, we also give them a five pound voucher through every single delivery as well. They can't use it through a delivery just to get a five pound off, but it makes them come to the restaurant. That's Booker T and the MGs playing Green Onions, which signals the start of our job section. Lots of jobs available. We'll give you a selection of the more recently announced vacancies. Mill Road Butchers has two vacancies. Call in with your CV or phone Cambridge 354 779. The Cambridge Cheese Company has one vacancy. You can get more information and apply by emailing cambridgecheese at gmail.com. Gorilla Kitchen is hiring. You must have a clean driving licence. Chef experience is preferred but not essential as training will be given. Core days are Wednesday to Saturday and the rates of pay are good. To find out more and to apply, email info at gorillakitchen.co.uk. There's a wide variety of jobs available at Cam's Cuisine. Check their website for details. There's full-time, part-time and apprenticeship positions. Stir Bakery in Chesterton Road needs a Saturday morning bicycle delivery person from 7.30 to 11.30am, delivering to local addresses. Also needed at Stir is a delivery driver and packing assistant 20 hours a week with weekend work essential. Apply by emailing recruitment at stir at gmail.com.
Parker'sTavernInRegentStreet.com. And Parker's Tavern in Regent Street are looking for a bartender, a host and waiters, also a head waiter, assistant restaurant manager, kitchen porter, commie chef, demi-chef de partie, relief head chef and others. Details are on the University Arms website. Okay, a quick roundup of some other positions that have become available in the last three or four days. Uh, go to the relevant website or social media for details or try popping in at a quiet time. Uh, chef de partie are needed at the Olive Grove in Regent Street, Amelie at the Grafton Centre, Wilson College and the Varsity Hotel. Chefs are needed at Scott's All Day in Mill Road, also at Galleria in Bridge Street and Wagamama. Finally, if you want to work in a very beautiful and remote spot nine miles from the nearest shop, the Wasdale Head Inn has an urgent need for a chef. Look them up online. They're by Wastwater in the Lake District. Well, that takes us to the end of our programme for today. Don't forget, we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And we will also be available, of course via podcast early in the next week we'll be back in two weeks time if you have a food story you think we ought to cover please contact us on social media or email flavor at cambridge105.co.uk in the meantime while flavor is what you might call the station's dedicated food program food does often crop up on other shows too Today we heard from Elle, who was on Steffi Callis's show, and that's on Monday to Thursday from 4 till 6. Shahida Rahman was on Lee Chambers' programme recently, talking about the history of Indian restaurants in Cambridge. Lee's show is on Monday and Friday mornings from 9.30 till 12 noon. The weekday breakfast show has a Thursday food club. Recent guests have included Louisa Palmer-Masterton of Stem and Glory, and this coming Thursday, it's Steve of Lemoncello. And Alex Elbro's Wednesday show from 9.30 till 12 noon also often has food guests. Now, coming up next this evening on Cambridge 105 Radio is Strummers and Dreamers with Les Ray. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 25th of September with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>